I'm Marty O'Donnell. I am a composer, a audio director. I worked on games like Halo and Destiny and stuff like that. And you know, it's funny thinking about this. You know, I'm I'm one of the old guys, obviously, and I. Uh, I feel like I've been following Brian Schmidt around my whole life. So he, he uh, even though I'm older than he is, we both were in Chicago. We both worked for rival jingle companies back in the, in the 80s and 90s. He started doing games. I started doing games. I asked Brian to come into my studio to help me figure out what's going on with 8-bit mono. Like I'm like, I'm not doing this. So luckily, I was able to do 16-bit, 80 PCM compressed. Stereo, which is my, the first game I worked on, which was Riven. So I never had to go through that horrible 8-bit mono stage, or even worse, general MIDI. I'm looking at George. I'm looking at you, George. <laughs> uh, but I've had a really great second half of my life career in video games. I was able to win the uh, uh, Lifetime Achievement Award, and I'm here to say that I'm still alive after <laughs> winning that award. And I'm still working. So I'm working at a game company after I left Bungie. After I left Bungie, um, I started a game company called Highwire Games. And we're in Seattle. And I started it with uh, another former Bungie guy who left Bungie. Uh, he left a little bit before I did. His name was Jamie Griesmer. Jamie is the game designer who invented the term 30 seconds of fun, if you've ever seen that. So he and I worked together for a really long time on all the whole Halo series. So just a little background about our studio. Um, uh, we are an independent studio. I heard somebody earlier today say triple I, which is kind of weird. I don't even know what that means, except that we have a bunch of triple A people at our studio. Um, and this is interesting. I think this slide was done a little while ago. We're averaging 20 years experience, at least we used to. Now we've hired, we've got four people we've hired from DigiPen. So suddenly our average has come way down. Uh, but. Um, We've always been, uh, we really, and this is, a, this is sort of a problem for me personally. I really love being on the cutting edge, the bleeding edge of technology. Uh, it's a really fun place to be because there's no books. There's no class. You can't, you have to figure out the problems as they come up. And that is really, really fun. Um, but it's also painful at times. So. We just, when we got together, it was like, well, what do you want to do? We both came from huge studios um, like Bungie, 343, uh, what does the I stand for again? Industries. In Industries, yes. 343, I guess, I used to say 343 Guilty Industries, but I, that's a, that was an inside joke. Anybody get it? Guilty. OK, all right, thanks. <laughs> Microsoft, Sucker Punch, uh, Sony Airtight, Valve, Fifth Cell, just to name a few. These are some of the things we worked on. Um, Halo, Destiny, Half-Life, Infamous. After Jamie left Bungie, he went and was creative director for Infamous Second Son. So he, he has got a great track record. We obviously needed someone who wasn't just creative. The two of us would have just blown the studio up immediately. Uh, so we got Jared Noftel, who is our technical director. He's the guy who started uh, Airtight, and he's got all the programming chops and does all. He keeps us calm. Um, uh, let's see. So now, and of course, now we have these DigiPen grads, which are great. And uh, at the second half of the talk will be Ian Shores, who uh, came from DigiPen, um, was in the first graduating class of the new four-year program that's there, where you can get a Bachelor of Science degree or a Bachelor of Arts degree in.
computer audio music games thing. Game audio, yeah. And uh, I was on the board of advisors that helped develop that program. So it's just really satisfying to then go and teach a class and then meet somebody like Ian and, of course, his wife, Shawnee, right here, who is a wonderful composer. Ian's a great composer. They're both really good at sound. And they're young, which is great. Um, let's see. So I, I, what I would say is that we had this. Uh, we immediately decided that the next big thing was going to be VR. And so we jumped into VR right at the beginning. So we had the first Oculus uh, dev kits that you could get. Um, one of our guys was a Kickstarter, was one of the first Kickstarter funders for it. Um, when we found out that Sony was making the PSVR, we went to them and we got a, our first year or so of working was just doing a whole bunch of demos for Sony in VR in the VR space. Um, so we've we had some strong relationships already with Sony and Epic, and we knew people at Oculus and Magic Leap and Vive and Hololens, and also in Seattle. I don't know who, if any of you have been up to Seattle lately. There is a really strong, thriving VR community up there of VR developers, and it's really fun to work there. And there's a lot of just shared information. We get together and try to figure out what to do. Because VR has not been solved. No matter what anybody tells you, it just hasn't been solved yet, which is fine. It's a good place to be. Um, so this is Golem. That's the game we've been working on now for three years. I wish it had shipped. It's very close to shipping. And my goal is to see us ship it before the end of the year. Ian says yes. OK. Uh, it's a game that is it's pretty unique. Uh, we, we have a movement system in that what we really wanted to make sure when people are playing the game, it's, it's you know, when you tell people to put on a headset, they go away. They're out of the world. They're in your world. And they can't see anything. Like they can't see the dog that comes into the room. They can't see their little kid that comes into the room. So we, we wanted to have a game that would keep people safe. So that means you stay seated, you don't get up and move around, but you feel like you're immersed in a world and you can move in 360 degree space, you hear 360 degrees, but you don't step on the cat while you're playing, hopefully. <laughs> so we have the, the premise is that you basically play as someone who is confined to bed and has to project themselves magically using the magical crystal, which is amazing how it looks a lot like a move controller um, in the game. <laughs> the magical crystal looks exactly like a move controller. It's the same shape. It's got a crystal on top. And uh, when you stare into the crystal, then you take over things like a, a little doll that's this big or a 10-foot tall stone golem giant. And you just explore the city. So here's a little video. It just gives a hint of what the game sort of feels like. And this is from way, way back. This is uh, a couple years ago. More volume.
who you end up becoming eventually. Uh, giant stone golem, and, and then your magic crystal turns into a huge sword that you fight with, which is a lot of fun. So uh, as you can hear, the music uh, is a little bit different than I've done in the past. It sort of re reflects a, a, a smaller world. It's just about a family in this, this sort of mythical place. Um, it's your sister is in trouble. You are, are the younger sibling and your father is alone, and it's, it's a, a voyage of discovery for you to try to find where your sister is, explore the endless city, uh, and there's a lot of really cool things in it. And what we wanted to do is we wanted to make a game that's got six to eight hours of actual story-driven gameplay in VR and see how that is. And one of the ways, the way you move is you hold the trigger down and you lean. And whatever direction you're leaning is, that's the direction you actually move in. When you release the trigger, you stop moving, and you can just look around. And what's really fun is you're able to completely turn around just by, by looking. We keep sort of squaring you back, and it's just, it feels very natural. And hopefully people won't get sick. All right, because <laughs> that's, that's the problem with VR. So, okay, let's go over my three rules for game audio. I think that I believe strongly in the rules of the rule of three. There's three for everything, small, medium, large, soft, mezzo, mm, loud, um, hard, medium, uh, soft. Like, you, if you have a rule of three, you can, you can just about cover everything. So my three rules of game audio are, first, do no annoying. So this is like really important to me because I don't think there's anything more annoying in a game than bad audio. Like, it's, it's just amazing, you know, a clunky footstep, uh, something gets repeated all the time. I mean, you can get away with repeated textures on walls when you're running around and nobody cares. But to hear the same footstep over again or an annoying buzz or, there's so many things that can be annoying. An annoying line of dialogue that repeats. It's just, it makes people go nuts, and I hate it. So first, do no, no annoying. When you're making stuff, you wanna make sure everything you make is not annoying. So the second rule is sound makes it real, music makes you feel. So that's just a general rule of thumb. I really believe this. Uh, feedback is happening. And, okay, I'll just try to not talk. Anyway, to me, the the thing about sound is it brings everything to life, and if you do your job right, especially on the sound design side, it's almost as though you won't get credit for it because it just feels like it's supposed to feel. It sounds and it creates everything to be real. Music goes straight to the limbic system, which is where smell and sex and drugs, all it's a great place to be, okay? <laughs> You're directly communicating with the emotional level of people. Now, of course, sound really does speak to the emotions, too. Audio speaks to the emotions, too. But I, I mean, you can't get more directly involved with people's emotions than when you're writing music. My last one is that everything that looks like it makes sound, makes sound. Now, this, all these things probably seem really obvious to you. But believe it or not, I don't think there's a single game I've ever shipped where all three of these things came true especially this last one. Um, almost always, just before something ships, an artist puts in a new animated shader that looks really cool, and, and we didn't have time to put a sound on it. So you go in the game, and you see this thing going. 
And you, I go to the artist, I'm like, what, what was that? It goes, oh yeah, Marty, look how cool this is. I'm like, are we shipping you with the game so you can make that sound effect with the animated chair? Anyway, there are so many times when I play games and I'm like, huh, I'm walking through bushes and I don't hear the bushes. I'm walking through water, I don't hear the water. I drop something and it doesn't make a sound. It's just, it, and this is hard to do. You notice it when it's not there. When everything is working right, it just disappears. You don't notice it. So I have some three new, I have new rules for VR. They're the same. <laughs> Except that sound makes it really real, and music still makes you feel. So sound, the audio environment for VR is um, incredibly important. And um, it brings everything to life because now you're actually hearing things come 360 degrees around you because HRTF works perfectly. Okay, that was a joke. You guys know HRTF does not work perfectly and it's really hard to work with. But what we decided to do is one of the things we had was some motion capture cinematics. And in our cinematics, you, the player, are in the cinematics. So that was a really interesting thing. You're in the cinematic and people who are in the cinematic with you are talking to you and looking at you. So there was no place to go to learn about how do you do mocap for VR and implement it and make it great. There's no book on this. Nobody's written a book. Uh, we're thinking about writing a book soon, but we'll see what happens. Uh, so that meant that we were solving problems as they came up, a lot of trial and error, which is a lot of fun. I, I enjoy that. And I, here's the thing that I thought was really interesting. Like, I've been in the film business for a while, and uh, you know, I've done cinematics and other things. And one of the things you never do is when you break the fourth wall by looking at the camera. That's just verboten. It, it ruins everything. In this case, it was really interesting because we realized we want the character to talk to you, the player, which means they want, you want them to make eye contact. And so solving how we make eye contact and make it feel natural was actually a really interesting thing in terms of blocking our, our cinematic capture. So um, well, here's, a, here's a very early facial test. Really soft. Did you turn down the computer? Can you turn the computer up? I think I'm as far as I can go. Yeah. All right, well, we'll see what happens on the next one. Um, this is the uh, mocap now stage in Seattle. It's a really big environment, and the tape on the floor actually indicates every one of the scenes that we were blocking out. So this is paths for the actors to walk. It's places where we put boxes that represent or, or whatever. One of the other things we had was um, there's a scene in a wagon. Your father and your sister are in the wagon talking. And we built this wagon. And obviously, everything has to be pretty open so we, we get good coverage of all the little ping pong balls. But we needed to have motion. So the, when you're in the wagon, you're, you're, you're rocking a little bit. And when your sister gets up and starts walking, she needs to be, you know, it's a wagon. So there needs to be actual motion there, and it needs to feel right. So we figured out a way to put it on these giant inner tubes and then just slow, just, just randomly rock the two by fours as, as we're shooting the scene. Um, and here's a shot. 
uh, yeah, my laser pointer works. That's Jamie, and he's put his head right where the camera is. So when your sister Sky is talking to you, she every once in a while will glance and look at, at Jamie and look right into his eyes. And then when we put the character uh, where the, you are in VR, you're sitting there and you can look at your sister. Uh, we also have eye tracking. So this is one of the cool things about VR. We know where your ears are. We know where your eyes are. So if you move a little bit, she'll, her eyes actually will follow you just so subtly. And I thought, was well, this going to be creepy? It's not creepy. It just feels totally natural. So it's great. Um, but we, it, she doesn't stare at you. It's just like normal, just a glance at somebody, and then you look to something else, and you look at your father, and it's, it feels really good. So one of the ways we, we did this, um, Next here's time, a Pro Tools session. Stay home and take care of Twine. In a few years, when you're older, maybe. I'll be 17 this summer. That's your empty head. Besides, I'm the best scavenger in the village. Without me, you'd come home with an empty wagon. <laughs> So that's like standard music and foley. Um, and the way we actually captured the, the actors is we rehearsed first in their body suits, rehearsed, shot the rehearsal, used that video as reference to like bring them into the recording studio to get really good close-up face capture. Then we used the, the face capture and the audio from the face capture, which was now going to be our master sync and we played that live back on stage and did the scene over again with the full ping-pongs and capturing it again while they're listening to their acting. So it was a, sort of this weird three-stage process, and it actually worked pretty well. Um, and then the next scene we have is going to show you. We already, you'll hear how we did it on the set. You're going to hear Skye's voice. And she was gone by this point, the actress who plays Sky. And now we were capturing the giant 10-foot-tall stone monster who comes into the scene. And uh, this is how this one worked. <laughs> Boom. That's not Sky. Stand up. Action. That's you. So this is playback. You should see your face right now, Dooba. Here it comes. Don't be afraid. Do. <laughs> I forgot what it's like to see your first result. You're a little taller than Sky for the scene. But that's I think just... you're like <laughs> twice as far away from So we're trying to get a sense. So there's Jamie, the camera. That's how low you would be. I run this arc between like here and here for almost the whole thing. Yeah, that's about as much as Oh, okay. So no, it's very demanding. So here's a better perspective of how we're gonna look at it in the game. Action. So now all we're capturing is this dude here. That's all. 
Mother gave this to me when I became a trainer. And I have another one at home. For you? We. Actually. So the big giant mace is a uh, piece of a vacuum cleaner. Uh, all right, so then we get that animation, we clean it up, I get a, a sort of a, a, a shot of it. So this is like traditional uh, Foley and music for that scene. But of course, this isn't how the person experiences it, but it looks like this. You can turn up the computer at all, that'd be great. are friendly. Just thought you should know that. Uh, now, the interesting thing about that scene is, 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 for me, is that traditional Foley is great, and then you have to cut all those files up into little pieces and make sure they're being emitted in 3D space from the right place. So footsteps coming from his feet, Foley body sounds coming from sort of center of mass. Um, all the dialogue, of course, is coming from the mouths and, and all of those things. And like when she holds her thing up, that sound has to be coming from here where she's holding it. And you know, even when he gets hit, the sound of, it being, of hitting him has to come from him and the sound of her beam coming from her hand. So you have several different things happening in real space. And it's, it's, you, know, you just can't get away with stuff. Like you can't, I originally had the foley of him smashing the, the mace it was all just part of the Foley track, which was coming from the center of his mass. Well, that didn't work. I needed to hear the mace hit the ground where it was hitting, because in the game itself, as I'm testing it, I'm sitting there, and I'm like, I see him come in, and he's big, and I look around, and then when the mace hits, if it sounded like it was coming from there, it doesn't work. So it has to sound like it's hitting the ground. And I believe, I, I was arguing with somebody about this yesterday, but we could tell when we didn't have HRTF hooked up the right way because everything was on a very level plane. When we finally had it hooked up, we were getting verticality. Um, the footsteps did sound like they were coming from below and things in the trees sound like it was coming from above. Um, so you really need to have all this stuff cut up and stuck in all these emitters and then let, let the natural reverb and the natural uh, uh, sphere of attenuation take care of your mix, which means you can't really tell how anything works until you're under the headset with the, head, with the headphones on. 
which means most of the time when Ian and I are working together, like be, here's the other thing. When you're actually mixing or you're trying to do something, you're inside this world. I can't even take notes because I can't find my pen because I'm stuck inside the helmet. So that's why Ian sits next to me and I yell things out. That's too loud. That's too left. That's too high. Whatever. Um, this next scene was interesting. They may never hear the same. I'm so sorry. This is your father. You're sitting in bed. And this candle is really fun. Here. Because all you have to do is strong. lean over and you hear the candle. Or I can always carry you around on my shoulders, right? So if you heard him pick up the crutch, and then he puts it on the bed. And this is the th one of the things I learned is like what you can get away with in normal Foley and normal sound design, and you cannot get away with in VR. So the, I'm sitting in bed as the character. My father's talking to me here. His Foley sounds are from the center of mass. His footsteps are here. He picks up the crutch, and then he puts the crutch down. Well, he leaned over to put, put the crutch down, and I had that crutch down sound just mixed in with his Foley sounds. And it was just, I think, I think the degree of cheating that you can get away with is under 30% angle. If, and sure enough, that just never felt right. Because when he put the crutch down, it went clunk. And when you're sitting there watching it, you heard the clunk coming from the middle of his body rather than the table. So I had a, you know, I cut that off, made a new emitter for the table so that could work. These are just some of the things we had to do to, to figure out how everything works. Uh, here's the opening scene. You better have fallen off a cliff or something. This guy's way over here. Wait. Did you fall off a cliff? Twine! Ugh. There you are. You're supposed to be helping Paul load the wagon. I guess I should be too. dream what it would be like to live there? She wouldn't have wanted that. Now, one of the things you notice is that for, the, for just placing of the Foley and trying music out, this is not a mix, and this is not the way anybody is going to experience it. When you're sitting there, you can look at anything you want. You can look at the trees. You can watch your sister or not. You can look any place you want, which makes it fascinating. So when she says, she sits next to you and she says, twine, you don't have to look at her. She's looking at you. It's like a real conversation. That's when I sit with George. He never looks at me when we're talking. Uh, but one of the things we wanted to really try is like, will this be convincing when she, and of course the other cool thing is, it's just dialogue that's recorded. As soon as she turns away from you, the attenuation sphere and the cone of attenuation makes it real. When she screams off the thing, there's a little reverb that, that sounds like a faraway slapback. So all this stuff, and then when she's far, of course, she's softer. As she gets closer, it gets louder. You're not going to hear that in a mix like this. This is all just so I know where everything needs to be placed. 
And then the other thing we wanted is right away, as you're sitting there, she just, all of a sudden, she walks behind you and then comes around. Well, you're, you're stuck in this position. You can't, it's really hard for you to, like, in a chair, turn all the way around. So we wanted you to, like, oh, do that. We wanted you to look at her here and then go wait until she comes over here. So that as she's talking behind you and walking behind you, your, the footsteps sounds like they're behind you and her voice sounds like it's behind you. And it actually works. It works as good as HRTF works. But it, I think one of the main reasons why it works pretty good is because the psychoacoustics of there's visual cues. So you are expecting the sound to be you, behind you. It's doing the right calculations, and you believe that it's behind you, which is very cool. All right, so here's, uh, here's just the day of, at MoCop now. Here's all the different setups we had. Here's the wagon. <laughs> so that's just one of those scenes. So that was our uh, foray into Golem's uh, MoCap, and now I'm going to give this uh, over to Ian and let him pick up the next thing. Hi, everyone. Uh, like Marty said, my name is Ian. I'm the audio designer at Highwire. I do sound effects uh, and implementation. Uh, my part of the talk is called Three Rules I Thought I Knew About VR Audio and How I Broke Them. Um, a couple disclaimers before I start. One, it, this kind of assumes that you know the basics of VR audio, uh, and I'm going to go through things real quickly. So if you have any questions, come find me after. I love to talk about this stuff. Uh, and the second disclaimer is these are three rules that we broke, um, but I'm not necessarily saying they're bad rules. Uh, I, I think they're good rules for everyone to know, but these are just some what we think are interesting uh, cases of why we broke them and why it was better for the game. So the first rule is no effects post HRTF. Uh, and it's generally true, like if you put some uh, stereo effects after your HRTF plugin that can mess things up, like you definitely don't want to put a ping pong delay because um, that'll mess up your stereo image, or uh, your binaural image rather. Um, but so we were following this like it was a hard and fast rule. We needed things to be louder, but we didn't want to put a limiter on the output. We're trying other things like EQ or, or compressing it before it gets to the HRTF. And nothing was really working. And I was talking to Brian Schmidt one day, and he suggested, actually, he asked, well, have you tried it? And I felt like an idiot. I hadn't tried it. So we tried it, and um, it worked. Uh, it made it sound a lot louder, it was easier, and it didn't mess it up at all. Um, once we pushed it really far, it, it started to feel a little flat, um, but it was fine. So uh, that rule, no effects post HRTF, bam, done, uh, wrong. Um, like, like I said, we haven't tested it extensively with every case, but in our case, it worked really well. Rule number two. Never bake in your reverb. Uh, again, it's a really good rule. In VR, you want to use really dry samples uh, so you don't mess up your distance cues. You can use the environment reverb, get more uh, reverby when you're far away. Um, but I have two examples of when we baked in reverb uh, that I think are pretty interesting. One is we have these giant swords. Uh, and you can't really tell from the picture, but at this time, you're 10 or 12 feet tall, and you have this sword that 
Um, it's like as big as me in real life. It's really cool. Uh, and when you hit things softly, uh, you get a little dink, but you hit it really hard, and it has a ring out, at least with this sword. There's lots of weapons in the game. Um, and to get that ring out, it's a lot of like reverb and delay mono that's just baked into it. And it works really well, I think. Like if you hit something really hard, your arm tends to like swing. And so you hear the sound of the ringing out sword moving around you. And that's a pretty cool effect. Um, some other examples of baked in reverb are, oh, that was two slides. Okay. Um, like in this area, this is a really cool area. I, um, it has some bats. Uh, and actually, it doesn't have any bats. Spoilers, the, there's sounds of bats, but there's no bats. <laughs> um, and they're just like, you know, I put them up in the dark corners of dark rooms. Uh, and you can never get close enough to them to like really hear them super dry or tell where they are. Uh, so it's, it's kind of sad, but it, it's a true fact that we just have better reverbs in our DAWs than we do in the game engine. So I just put a really nice reverb on it and make it sound far away, and it sounds good. I like it. It's in the game. Um, another example is uh, dripping water. I was having a real hard time getting this to sound right with the environment reverb. Um, and I, it would have been nice to be able to walk up to like a couple spots and really hear the, the dry drop and then walk away and you hear the echoey stuff through the caves. But I couldn't get it sounding right through the environment reverb, so I just made a conscious choice, never put it close, close enough to the player um, to get it dry. So I baked in a nice reverb for that as well. Uh, so that's rule number two, broken, never bake in reverb. We did that. And broken rule number three is insert sound here spatializes the best. I say insert sound here because I've heard a lot of examples of this, um, of sounds that spatialize better than other sounds. Um, and so I'm going to go a little bit more in-depth with this one. Uh, for the first example, there's the human voice. Um, and indeed, with all of these, it's true. Uh, like, if you put the voice on the feet or in the torso, it just sounds wrong, and you notice it right away. And the thing with, the, with when your sister is walking behind you, it really sounds like she's behind you. Um, so it, it works. But like Marty's saying, when everything works, it's just right. And you know, this is the dialogue we want to, dialogue is king, right? We want to make it a little more spectacular and encourage you to engage with the cutscene a little more. Um, so we do some things that add some interest to the dialogue that aren't necessarily realistic. Um, so one of those is uh, an accentuated environment reverb. We do this because um, VR is really good at making things feel intimate. When I played Skyrim VR for the first time, uh, when I was in dialogue with the NPCs. Before, when I was playing Skyrim, I would just like be looking at the text and like going through and skipping half the dialogue lines. Um, but in VR, like you actually see the person looking at you and you can see the details on your face, on their face, and it's very personal. Um, so there's some of these moments where, where your sister talks to you and like when she, when she comes up to you and, and she says, hey, and you can look at her, she's right next to you. Um, so accentuating the environment reverb when she's far away gives a lot more contrast. When she gets closer, you can suck all the reverb out. It's very dry and it's really like somebody is um, talking right next to your ear. It's, it's a really nice moment. 
Uh, and like Marty said, when, when she yells over the side of the cliff, uh, you didn't hear it in the cutscene, but we have a slapback delay on it, so she's like, hello, 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 hello. Um, and that's not realistic, but it's cool. <laughs> and it gives you a gives you a sense of like you know there's a vast open space below it, um, and again the the cone attenuation um, like if I turn around I have a microphone so it doesn't work but if I turn around uh, my voice is gonna be gonna be a little muffled that is a realistic thing, but uh, we go a little bit over the top on that and you can get some we have some cool moments because of it. So there's this point where Skye is talking about the hills behind her. They, they go up and she's like, but these hills! Um, and when she turns around, her voice gets a lot quieter and you hear more of the echo off the hill and it's like her voice is echoing back, even though it's just environment reverb, it's not actually the echo back, but it feels like it. Um, so human voice may not spatialize the best. Um, or, I don't know, that's kind of a cop-out. It, it spatializes really well. The next one, Mono sound spatializes best. And technically this is true because I don't know any HRTF spatializers that work with multi-channel sound other than uh, dropping all but the left channel and spatializing that. Um, but we have some examples of multi-channel sounds that we just, or, or mono sounds too, that we just don't use HRTF within our game because it sounds better. One example is we have these insect clouds and it's um, like this cloud of insects that you can walk towards and you can walk into and you can look around. Um, and for those, I just found a nice stereo flying insect cloud sort of sound and use the wise spread parameter in kind of like a classic use case of it where when it's far away, it's point source and when you get closer, it spreads out a little more, and when you walk inside, it's completely hard panned. And it's a nice effect. Um, there is a little bit of a drawback with that, um, in that, uh, so you're here, it's completely hard panned at this point, you have basically an emitter here and here, and you're moving your head around, you get a lot of movement, but if you go 90 degrees and just like stay there, it collapses to what's basically a mono image because you have one in front and one behind you. Um, and it doesn't sound great, but it's not, not that bad of a problem in that case with the insect cloud because, I mean, you're never gonna like go into the insect cloud and then like turn exactly 90 degrees and just sit there and be like, okay, what is the sound designer doing here? But if you are, that's great. Um, <laughs> Go ahead. Just, yeah, uh, you're just not playing the game at that point, so <laughs> whatever. Um, you, what you do more realistically is you walk into the cloud and you look around and you're like, oh wow, this is cool or creepy or whatever, and you get that sense of motion because you're moving your head, and then you just walk straight out of it. Um, so that works well. There's also uh, another example, underwater sound effects. We didn't use HRTF with those. Um, there's two parts of the underwater sound that I want to talk about, just the general like room tone ambience. Um, I wanted a feeling of like when you jump in the pool and you feel the pressure on your ears and HRTF is really good at externalizing things, making them sound like they're at arm's reach. Uh, so that wouldn't have worked very well for this situation. And also technically if you think about it, uh, the the speed of sound in water is like way different than in air. It's something like four times faster. So the calculations in the HRTF would be messed up anyway. Um, 
There's also the transition effects. Uh, when you go in or out of water, the submerge and emerge effects. And for those, I just use stereo sounds uh, that are not spatialized. And the reason for that was another thing that H HRTF does really well is it likes to take out the crispiness of a sound, um, like the kind of like 3.5K area. Um, things like bush rustles and sand pouring and like these water splashes when you emerge out of water. Um, they they kind of sound like they have the life taken out of them. Um, and I knew that was going to happen because I'd run into this problem before in this project. And so I just did stereo sounds. And uh, you, you, you go out, I bypass the spatializer, you hear a little bit to your left, a little bit to your right. Um, it's a good sound, it sounds nice. You get the same problem with the insect cloud that like if you turn this way, it's, but whatever, it's like a half second sound. So um, you're never going to study it. Uh, so mono sound. Uh, done with that one, does not spatialize the best. Uh, lastly, in rule three, there's real world sound uh, spatializes the best. Um, and if I have, I, I think I have time. So I, yeah, I'm gonna talk uh, a little bit more, I'm gonna shove a little bit more into this real world sound thing. Um, so I'm also gonna talk about transient sounds, really quick sounds tend to not spatialize well, and uh, broadband sounds tend to spatialize better than other sounds. Um, so it is true that real world sounds do spatialize really well, especially like the human voice. We talked about that earlier. Um, running water uh, is, uh, was kind of a surprising one to me. I had to turn down all my running water emitters in the world because they just like call attention to it and they distract you. Um, so I had to make them a lot quieter than I thought I would. Um, but because just because real world sounds spatialize really well doesn't mean that synthesized sounds don't. So we have a couple examples of that. We have this dream ball, um, and this is like this shimmery broadband sound. And so broadband helps it, definitely helps it. There's also the an aspect uh, I'm, I'm calling focus. I think that helps, and it's not like the wise focus parameter or anything. It's literally like your attention. Um, and when you see this dream ball, it's not in this scene where it is on the slide. These are old. I wish I could show you the, the dream ball now. It looks really good. Um, but you're in like this dream void, and there's hardly anything going on uh, visually or sonically. Uh, and by far the most in interesting thing to pay attention to is this dream ball. Um, so one, it's broadband. Two, there's nothing else to focus on. I think it's kind of like when you're in the movies and like a lot of the dialogue comes out of the center speaker. I think I've never made a movie before, but um, <laughs> uh, and like the character might be there, but like a lot of the dialogue is coming from here, but you don't really notice it because um, it's close enough and you're really focusing on that character and you expect it to come from there. Um, so I think that helps out this dream ball a lot. Another example is um, the. Uh, uh, dream stone, dream stone, and this one is another one of those focus things. There's not a lot happening, and in fact, this isn't even a broadband sound. It's kind of like a warm, mushy sound, mostly low mids, um, and so it doesn't have a lot going for it. But it also spatializes really well. Um, the environment does that, just like the last one. But also, we put a cone attenuation on this, and that is just encouraging engagement. It makes it a little more fun, where like if you, like not only does it pan correctly when you do this, but like if you rotate it around, the sound changes. Um, 
So it's just fun and you kind of want to pay attention to it. That again spatializes really well. Um, I'm going to skip the last example on that. So real world sounds done. That's rule number three. Uh, done. Okay. So those are all the three rules that I broke in VR audio. And now, if I may, I want to propose three new rules for VR audio. Um, one is everything is a sandbox. So the first time we place a player in a real golem and you can fight, um, there's, you're like on top of this hill and there's this beautiful vista in front of you and enemy golems down there, you can have your first fight and this whole big city to explore. Um, and nobody goes for any of those things. They don't want to go explore. They don't want to go fight. They like hit the rock next to them or like shake their sword um, or like look at their wrist. Uh, so since everything is a sandbox, we want to encourage whatever people are finding fun in the game, right? So if they look at their wrist, we put a sound on that. And like the faster you move your wrist, the more sound, you get a little stone grindy sound. Or like whatever thing is around to hit, every single one of them needs a sound. Um, even in situations where you would think like normally you, you don't, it's not a sandbox, like a cutscene. You still have, since you're the camera, you have agency. So like that, that candle in that one cutscene, uh, put a sound on it. Doesn't really matter. Like a small fire sound. What matters is that whatever you do affects it. Um, so like we put a really severe attenuation on it. When you go like this, it really changes the sound, and it's just something fun to do. Um, so rule number two, um, everything has a velocity. I think I spent more time tweaking velocity curves in VR than anything else in this game than anything else. Uh, it's not like the classic beat-em-up where you have a light attack and like 20 variations of that and a heavy attack and 20 variations of that. You can hit things as hard or as soft as you want. Um, not just hit things, you can move as fast or slow as you want, like swing your arms in the air and stuff. Um, so even though like you would never like tap something to kill a golem or get anywhere in the story, people still like tap things and you, we want to make it sound like this giant sword is making this little tap, tap, tap sound. Um, and again, when it's, uh, when you swing really hard, we want that too. So we tend to do like a, a sampler style thing where everything has a velocity. I knew that was going to happen. <laughs> everything has uh, velocity layers. So, um, well, mostly everything has velocity layers. Some things are really simple, like uh, not only all the swords, but everything that you can hit, and um, like water, for instance. Uh, that's just a volume curve. If you turn down the volume on a water splash, you get less of the tail, so it's like a shorter, shorter splash, and it sounds like there's less water. That works really well. But other things have uh, layers of samples. So like if you hit a tree lightly, you get a little thunk. The harder you hit it, you're going to hear like more leaves shaking. Um, or like if you hit a stone really hard, we'll start to add in layers of debris falling and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, that's for everything. Um, took a lot of time, but it's really satisfying when you get it right. And like Marty said, once you get it right, you just don't notice it's right. <laughs> it's kind of sad. <laughs> um, third rule, uh, environment sound is really important and really difficult. I love doing the environment sound. I wish I could have spent all my time on that. 
Um, the hardest part of environments are the portals, uh, the entrances to different locations. Um, and nowadays, WISE has the, the spatial audio suite. Uh, and, and so they have portals, and I've tested them out. They work really well. And so if you can use them, you should use them. But on this project, we are using WISE 2016. So they didn't have portals yet. Um, so we ended up doing some, well, I'll tell you what we did. Um, normally, you have like a time crossfade, but in VR, that's all the audio is under a microscope. You really notice it. Um, so we ended up doing like you have the, the room tone around your head, which is a pretty common thing in VR nowadays, um, having like a basic room tone that has the position of your, your camera, but it has the rotation of the world. So like, you know, if you have an emitter here, it'll move around with you, but it'll like do this when you turn. <laughs> um, as you pirouette in your ballet game. Um, so we have that, if, and then we also have entrance emitters um, that are on the, the portal itself. So say you're in room A and you're going to room B, your room tone emitters have uh, the room tone for room A, and the entrance has the room tone for room B. And that's a 3D sound, so as you approach it, you hear it more. And as you cross a threshold, we set a state that crossfades both at the same time. So you start hearing B around your head, and the portal plays room A. Um, and that's a pretty good solution. There's some issues with it. Like uh, um, you can really tell where the emitters are coming from on the portal. So I'll, I'll put more, more and more around the portal to kind of obfuscate where it's coming from. And uh, if that's not enough, sometimes I'll put, like, like if it's a cave entrance, I'll put like lots of whistling wind on the entrance. Um, that has nothing to do with the room tone. Uh, and then um, also in, in environment sound, uh, the, the room tone part that I'm talking about, we, we came up with, I think, an interesting solution. Um, at first we looked at ambisonics, which I think is really popular. Um, but there's not a lot of content there. Uh, at least there wasn't when we started, when we were looking. And also, it's kind of expensive. Um, we were looking at uh, 5.1 and 7.1, trying to spatialize that around you. Uh, again, it's a content issue. Um, there's just not a lot of what we want. And also, that stuff is expensive. So I started looking at creating my, my own uh, multi-channel things. So looked at quad, and I think quad is uh, pretty popular in VR right now. Uh, and that worked pretty well. Um, but we also had like the, the emitter collapsing to mono issue there, where um, you would, like, if you had two here, one in front and one behind, then it would be really center heavy, not quite mono, but still like not quite what I want. And so what we ended up settling on in the end is uh, um, a trilateral speaker arrangement. So you have um, all equidistant, whatever, on, on a circle around you, one here, one here, and one directly behind you. Um, and the way we make those is you have a stereo ambience. You just like chop off the left half, take one channel, make it your back center channel. Um, and I was a little worried with, uh, um, with like, stereo correlation, or I don't know what the 
word for three channels is, but correlation, basically. Uh, but that ended up not being an issue. Like the front two channels are obviously correlated because it's a stereo recording in the back channel. Just never bothered me. Um, and the cool thing about it is no matter where you turn, you have basically, um, they're like it never collapses to mono, basically. Uh, so those are the three new rules for VR audio. Um, take them or leave them. In fact, I have one more rule, surprise. Uh, the new rule is don't forget to break all the rules. <laughs> uh, and that's my part of the talk. Very good. Back to Marty. Thank you, Ian. Yeah, you know, we've had a, a lot of fun uh, making this game and working and solving all these issues, and we're really, really looking forward to releasing it to everybody so everybody can say, oh, wow, that, that doesn't work, or I got sick, or whatever. We want to learn from what we're doing, which is really, really fun. Um, uh, there was things I wanted to say while you were talking, too, but it was like it was good, so I didn't say anything. Uh, the, um, oh, I, here's, here's one thing I want to just mention really fast, and that is, a lot of people want to know the, how you solve the music issue for, the, for a game like a VR game. And to me, it's like there is no issue. So I'm old fashioned. I think music, stereo music works really well. And the one thing I don't like is music that, I mean, we have no diegetic music. There's, this is a mythical place that has no technology. So there's no radios, there's nothing. Uh, there could be like a weird little band that plays over in the corner someplace, you know, with some ethnic instruments, and that'd be cool, but we don't have that. When music comes in, it's only to help tell the story, and the story is the emotions that you feel are internalized, which means the music needs to just feel like it's happening right here in your head, like music happens. And so the world is there, and it's real, and it reacts, but when the music comes in, it doesn't move. It's inside your head because it would be really disconcerting if you moved your head a little bit and the flute player sounded like they were over here or there or whatever. That's just not what you want. So the music is there to tell the emotional story and it doesn't move. Um, that's really important for us. Uh, so yes, here's the game. Um, and of course, this is, this is a technical, you know, we're all here together, so there's no selling here. But if you want to buy Golem, that would be great when it comes out. And also, if you, there's some music that I did that you heard a little bit of it in the talk, and it's uh, from an album called Echoes of the First Dreamer, which is the musical prequel to Golem. And um, yeah, that's available now. You can just go right now and buy it. George, you could just go right now online and buy it, yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right, well, that's our talk. Thanks for coming, and hang around and ask questions. Thank you very much.